welcome back, folks, to Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gregory, and with us, as usual, are Jess and Nick. We're here to talk about all things Marvel Comics for the month of August. But before we do that, just want you all to take a moment. If you're coming to us uh, from, from Apple Podcasts, from iTunes, take a moment, subscribe, give us a rating, leave us some comments, let us know how we're doing. Uh, and if you haven't already, please go check out multiversitycomics.com. It's where we're hosted. It's where you can find all of your comic book related news, all of the comic book related reviews that your heart could ever want, all of the comic book related content that exists in the world. Well, probably not all of it, but a lot of it exists at multiversitycomics.com. And there's also a ton of other podcasts there. So you should go and check some of those out. Uh, but we are a Marvel related podcast. So for this first part of the episode, we're going to be covering uh, the biggest news from Marvel from the month of August. It's a little bit of a slower, slower month after uh, that San Diego Comic-Con high and that, that news dump that we did last episode, but we'll get that. And then we'll get to some of the the biggest issues that Marvel had coming out in the second part of the episode. Um, But Nick, Jess, how are, how are y'all doing this fine day? Very good. I'm great. I'm excited to talk about the comics. Nice, nice. Yeah. I'm a little tired today, but that's okay. <laughs> well, we'll hopefully make it work. Um, cool. So we'll start off with sort of the biggest uh, piece that Marvel announced um, in August, and that is the return of Uncanny X-Men. So it was teased at San Diego Comic-Con. They said that Uncanny was coming back in November, and uh, indeed it is. So Uncanny number one will start November 14th, and it will be the first part of a 10-part weekly series, an arc called Disassembled. Uh, a little bit of a familiar, familiar name for those of you that are Avengers buffs and have read the beginning of Bendis' run from the mid-aughts. Um, all the issues will be co-written by Ed Brisson, Kelly Thompson and Matthew Rosenberg. And then art duty will switch off issue to issue from Mama Desrar, RB Silva, Yildre Sinar, and Perry Perez. Um, so yeah, we also were treated with a teaser image with a lot of the X-Men all together. Uh, and that was drawn by David Marquez. And um, this book looks big. So what are y'all's initial thoughts on on this approach and on this this book uh jess we'll we'll start with you as the resident x-men expert um i'm both uh interested in it and also kind of not interested in it being like a weekly event type thing um the thing with like x-men is like you kind of have to have like these events because they've built that universe as such a big thing and you can't just like start throwing characters around without like any giving a reason for it or why are these teams like realigning themselves and everything so you kind of have to do stuff like this so there is like not so much like a like a new starting point but more like a a take your breath moment so like a book can keep going which is typically what they do they'll keep a book going and they'll add new team members to the book and that the big event is why things shake out the way that they do um which is good and bad um, but I kind of don't like that uh, it's Uncanny X-Men and it's like just going to be like a 10-week thing. Um, I'm sure it's going to come back anyway as like a, a actual running title, but it's just weird that 
they're putting it under the Uncanny X-Men banner and not just calling it Disassembled. Like, it's going to be an event book. That's what it is. And that's what they should just market it as that. I mean, it's X-Men. I mean, if you've been reading X-Men long enough, you kind of just expect these things. They're just... that. That's just how X-Men runs. There's a bunch of stuff that's going to happen in this big event. Everything is going to kind of... Not, not necessarily reset, but mostly just, like, gather itself a little bit better and then keep going. And then that'll lead to the next big, like, earth-shattering thing for the mutants. And um, so I'm, I like it, and I also don't. I, I don't like Weekly. Weekly's very hard for me to keep up with, um, given that I'm behind on so many other things. Um, so that'll be, that'll be fun for me writing the column, because I have no idea how I'm going to manage that. Um, uh, that'll, that'll be tricky. I think that's asking a lot from people, but on the bright side, 10 issues will be done pretty quick instead of it being like a drawn out year long thing. So I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in it because I, I really do like the talent that's attached to this. Um, like Rosenberg and Thompson have been doing some really great stuff in the X-Men universe. So I'm really excited for them to, to be in charge of like something this big. I'm, I'm really hoping that like we're entering like uh, Rosenberg, Taylor, uh, Bri- uh, Brisson, Thompson kind of like being like the, the face of the X-Men franchise right now. Cause that, that's a good lineup to me. That's, that's really solid. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about um, like, why didn't they just call this book X-Men disassembled instead of, instead of labeling it uncanny X-Men. Cause that is kind of interesting. Cause you would think you would, you would want to do that for, to de to demarcate it as, as an event book. Um, and there are some people that have, I guess, speculated that maybe, it this the book won't be around after 10 issues like uncanny will come back for these 10 issues do this big thing and then that'll relaunch into a bunch of different books so in that sense it wouldn't make sense to 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 name it uncanny x-men if just uh to cancel it again in january when the when the event's done um but yeah i don't know yeah those are those are good points nick what are what are your sort of initial initial thoughts on on this whole thing Uh, I tend to have no real interest in huge events outside of like the context. So, I I mean, when I say that, I think of like how I just, I finished my um, big like Bendis read through of his Avengers and I I got all the way up through the end of fear itself. And then I was like, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I really enjoyed reading like, in context, reading Siege and Secret Invasion, House of M, and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, when I I would never just pick up one of those on its own. Uh, so that's how I feel about this. Also, like I see it, it's like like Jess was saying, it's you have these big events, and the the books you know sort of work around each big event. And I feel like it's more a tentpole for people who are interested in following the main books, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, like during the Bendis read through, I kept on getting to points where I would have to read things, uh, like, uh, I, I read through part of Utopia and I just, I couldn't, I could not get interested in it, even though I, it was by Matt Fraction, who I generally really like. So yeah, that's my initial feeling about this. Yeah. I mean, those are really good points because like with the X-Men, especially when this is all said and done, 
everything you ever need to know about that event is going to just be told to you in whatever comes next. Um, because what's going to happen with this, with this amount of writers working on it is they're all going to introduce things that they're going to do. And then they're all going to get their own books and they're going to keep going with that. And so they're going to rehash all of it. So it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, if, if I'm going to read it because I'm, I'm reading all the X-Men books, but like, you don't have to read this. It's, it, it's, it's, a Marvel event. I mean, it's it's not like, oh my god, if I don't read this, what am I doing with my life? You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not that situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are enough big events going on. Like we have what four running right now, <laughs> so yeah. I, I can pass on uh, maybe all four of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's I guess that's true. In November we'll have extermination ends. Spider Geddon will be in the middle of it. Infinity Wars will be in the middle of it. Um, Wolverine stuff. Wolverine stuff. The Return of Wolverine stuff. Who Who Declan Shalvey is going to be doing the the middle middle books of that? Not Steve McNiven because he can't keep a schedule. But Shalvey's a good a good replacement. Um, yeah, that is. I think there is sort of a, a level of a level of event fatigue there, and I think that you're right, Jess. That a lot of these things are going to be. Um, rehashed for you and all the books that are going to spit out of this i've i've been thinking about it so i've been i've been trying to catch up because i finally have time to and i had all of the avengers no surrender books um set aside because i hadn't read those yet that that 16 week uh weekly thing that that marvel did back in you know back at the beginning of the year to spin off into jason aaron's new avengers run and i've been reading it and i'm about about three quarters of the way through it um and it's really good. Like it's a really good, fun sort of like contained event book. Uh, but I know that it really has no bearing on any of the things that came after. Like it was a good transition from having all these all these different Avengers teams running around, having the Uncanny Avengers and the USA Avengers and the Mark Wade written Avengers group and the Champions and all them, and then moving them into a different place in like the fresh start status quo. And I'm saying like it, it did its job well, but it yeah, it was absolutely not necessary. Um, so I think that I think that you're right, Jess. Like I think that this is gonna be a fun ten issue thing that's gonna be f- like fun and enjoyable. And I and I do love all the talent that's attached to this. And it's good that it's all of these people that have been um, doing these X Men books. I think that we sort of speculated that maybe Rosenberg or Thompson or Tom Taylor would be taken over Uncanny. And lo and behold, it's it's all of them. I guess minus Taylor and, and Ed Ed Brisson, um, but it's people who have you know been around the X universe for the last like year or so. Like Brisson's writing Old Man Logan, which is about to end, and he's writing Extermination, which we'll talk about in the second part of the episode. Thompson just uh, finished you know Rogan Gambit, and she's writing Mister and Miss X, and she's writing another book that we'll talk about in the second part of the episode. Rosenberg did the Phoenix Resurrection stuff, and he's writing Astonishing. And then all the art, art, art talent too, have been on X books recently. Like Mama Nostrada did the first arc of X Men Red. RB Silva's been on one of the Hunt for Wolverine books. Yildre Sinar's been on Weapon X, and then Perry Perez did the art with Thompson on the Rogue and Gamut book. And so it's fun that like they're keeping it contained like this. Uh, but it'll be it'll be interesting. We also don't really have a lot of details on what this whole story is going to be. We think that some people are going to die, some people are going to come back, like these stories do. Uh, 
and it's, it's funny that you say it so nonchalantly yeah that's just that's just how it is like some folks are gonna die some people are gonna come back from the grave or the the phantom zone or the quantum realm or the whatever the fuck magical thing blah 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 blah. uh the bardo i don't know whatever um and then stuff is is gonna be not the same but different and we're gonna keep going i was also just you're talking about this is gonna be hard for people to pick up i was looking at the november solicits like for when this book is solicited solicited the first issue of this book is 72 pages and it's seven seven ninety nine. <laughs> so insane. Oh my god. There's gonna be so much in this ten issues that like is just not even gonna matter. Well we're gonna see like the X-Men playing chess or something. Like uh, yeah. actually that wouldn't Kevin, be so bad. That would probably be okay. When maybe when you sent over the list of the three books that we were gonna read this week, I was like, oh, okay, that's solid. Like, you know, these three books. I went and looked. One of them was 40 pages. And the other two were 30 pages. And I was like, really? Like, can we not have a normal size number one issue anymore? And then I saw <laughs> <Yeah>. this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is worse. Like, this is way worse. Um, and that's that got me thinking a lot, too. Like, yeah, Marvel hasn't had a regular size number one issue for anything that's important in, like, ever. Rec- in, like, recent memory, I guess. Um, and it's like if they're going to buy any of these comics because they're interested, we're going to force them to buy the most expensive one. <laughs> um, and I just, I think that's kind of crappy. It is. And it'll <laughs> elevate it on variants. the charts. And all the, var- oh my God, there's like 40 <laughs> variants for Uncanny so X-Men. So many one, variants. Too. It's insane. I had to like scroll for a little bit on the solicit before I got to where the next issue on there was solicited and has info. And I was, I was just amazed. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think that's a weird thing. Like, of course, if you're even mildly interested in this, you're going to have to buy it because like Uncanny X-Men being a book is a is a big thing. And we haven't really had an important Uncanny X-Men book in a while. And so all the, the X-Men fans maybe are going to come out for this. But I don't see them. I don't see a lot of them keeping up with this past like the first issue and maybe the second one. But I don't know. Well, the rest maybe of the issues well. don't maybe matter if good. they sell a lot of the first one that's true that's true you make up like you know you sink all the all cost into it you make up your 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 money in the first issue or whatever i don't know how money works for (laughs) economics or things i'm an adult it's fine (laughs) um i don't know i think i think it's gonna be i think it's gonna be a good story like i like the the talent behind this i think it'll be cool I kind of like, I guess, weekly issues like this. Like, I think it's fun to see just like the quick turnaround of stuff. Like I reread um, or I read 52 for the first time, like a few mm-hmm. months ago. And like it was just like binging like a, a whole like television season mm-hmm. all at once. And it yeah. was like super cool. I mean, it's like um, it's not bad in theory, but the book itself has to be really good. And like 52 is like the peak. Like that's that's <laughs> what you want to do. So I mean, 52 is great. Yeah, I don't think that any weekly series has ever been as good as 52. It's the first and the best. (laughs) Sad day. Anyway, y'all have any more more uncanny thoughts? Nope. No. No. The only other thought I had, and it only because it made me really mad, is that have y'all seen that teaser image that Marquez drew? Yes. It's it's really pretty. Um, and then Marvel put a big fat oh, X yeah. over it <laughs> and they fucked it up. Like 
people's ears are like on other sides of the X and like people's heads are like on both sides and it just looks real tacky. That is the and... artistic vision, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> oh, the no, Marvel no. marketing department, okay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The, the, clearly the, the true artist in the house of ideas. <laughs> it's the person who photoshopped a giant white X over David Marquez's beautiful art. <laughs> Anyway, I like Marquette. He's one of my faves, but I was so... Uh, I hope that guy hasn't seen the final project. He would be sad. Okay. All right, well, moving on then. Um, the next other big, big thing that happened in the month of August that we knew was coming, but was definitely finalized, is that the Fox-Disney merger is a go. Um, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Jess, I know you have a lot of thoughts about this, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to uh, keep us on this for so long because we really could go on for a long time. I don't like this. I don't think it helps anybody in the long run. I think the only people that are really going to be excited about it are people who are just really, really hung up on seeing the X-Men and the Avengers together in a movie. Um, I don't like the idea that Disney owns so much. It's really important, I think, for competition to exist, even if it's like, even if like Fox is never going to, be the kind of thing Disney is. All these studios are never going to be Disney, but I think they all need to be separate so that they can continue to do what they're going to do. Um, it just makes me really uncomfortable to have Disney own so much media when they could have just paid that kind of money and just gotten specifically just the Marvel stuff. But um, yeah, no, I, I really, really don't like it. I don't like it. I'm, I'm the downer of the whole Marvel movie thing I, I really i really hate it. i don't like it because it's not just marvel that's included in all of this so yeah i i don't like it yeah yeah and you have to think that, that disney did this for more than just those x-men characters because that's only like they spent over 70 billion dollars and for them to make it all back with marvel movies is gonna take like 70 more movies or other tv shows or or merchandise or whatever else like they bought everything except for fox news and like some of the fox sports stuff um so like that's a lot also a lot of people lost their jobs and that's also horrible but all the nerd people are focused on oh we're finally going to get to see the x-men and tony stark in a movie together um and i don't think i don't think it's it's bad to be the downer on that like i think it's good to remind people that there are people behind these these nerd things that we're excited about there are people right like there there are actual people who work for these companies that are gonna fit that are less excited about this um and i'm and i'm always i'm always a, a a fan of reminding people like even even the way that we interact with people on social media like reminding people that they're human beings on the other side of these things that happen like it's more than just words that we read on the interwebs um I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I went on a long thing. No, that's that's solid. <laughs> um, yeah, I I really don't have any comments that I didn't say when we talked about this the first time when it was just speculative, um, or that you know either of you haven't said. So, yeah, yeah, I'm. I guess I'm just curious. I guess to to play out then the the. X-Men Fantastic Four characters getting to be a part of the MCU or whatever else. I'm wondering, I guess, what the the first steps of how that is implemented or whatever. 
because I'm, I'm remembering that we knew what all of the phase three films were going to be even before uh even before ant-man came out like they announced what all of the phase four movies were going to be uh and those have changed a little bit but that was that was uh, like three years in advance and we don't we don't know anything about phase four really except for what is coming in 2020 like we know guardians 3 is coming probably (laughs) um unless maybe unless they don't get a director uh we know that a new spider-man movie is coming um and we can assume that you know like uh doctor strange 2 or like a black panther 2 or whatever is it's coming but we don't we don't really know um and so i'm wondering one if these characters then were a part of the plan for phase four and that's why they've been holding out or this is another thought that i had uh just now i'm wondering because disney launches their uh streaming service thing in 2019 uh if like the x-men animated shows and like the fantastic four animated shows and like if those movies now that they own all those things all those properties will be a part of that and then if so like if there will be some x-men animated content that'll be on like disney xd or something like that like if that'll be the first that we'll see of something instead of a big tentpole blockbuster film um thought i just or even a tv show or something god yeah i I hate the merger but there is a part of me that would go completely insane over a really good x-men tv show like not one that's like x-men by proxy like the gifted like the gifted i i watched a couple episodes really not so bad but it's not like the x-men like that would i i feel like the x-men lends itself better to like a tv show anyway than like a two-hour movie because a two-hour movie would be just like some one big massive storyline but like a tv show you'd be really you'd really get the chance to like dig into all the relationships which is like a huge part of x-men it's like fantastic four it's like those the bonds that they share with each other but with the x-men there's the soap opera element to it and i feel like that would make for such a good tv show and then i would be so i would be the biggest hypocrite in the world because i would watch that so much (laughs) Oh yeah. Like I will sign up for your streaming service and watch that show and I will feel bad about it the entire time. Yeah. I wonder if there's anybody clamoring for like I remember when the Wolverine and the X-Men animated series came out. I guess that was like 5 years ago. It's like 2013. Yeah. Or I love that. That, that was, was so great. good. Yeah. It was on Nickelodeon though. So yeah. I um, X-Men's always been really good at like mm-hmm. animated shows like mm-hmm. uh the the Fox the the one that everyone loves with the great theme song that that's yeah. that's great and then the, the wb show that was like that was actually the first one i saw that was I the like, first one actually yeah yeah like i was right in that age group yeah. i love that i i adore that show and then and yeah, then the good. nickelodeon one was really good too it's so it'd be cool if like they they did launch a cartoon that was in like a similar way of those and not like super kitty um mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just hard. It's it's like there's little things I would get excited about, and and you know maybe for like Phase Four, like if they if they knew that this was something that they were really working on and trying to get to happen, I guess it makes it easier now for them to lose the big stars that they're going to lose because you're not going to be playing Captain America for the rest of your life. So mm-hmm. I guess now it makes it easier for them to lose those stars because you still now you have an entire crop of like household name characters that people even most casual of fans know 
like people know Wolverine people know the Fantastic Four and it's like now you you have those characters and you can I mean the Marvel Cinematic Universe is doing does whatever it wants anyway so it's like they can use those characters in any kind of way they want to like they can introduce the X-Men then immediately start pushing them into Avengers movies with whatever characters they've got left from from the Avengers like group of heroes and and now it just gives them that marketability that they they I don't think they were worried about it like it's Disney and Marvel I don't think they're gonna have a hard time making everyone be like huge Captain Marvel fans you know even though she still seems like like she still seems like she's maybe like a comic book person like mostly like the big fans are still like the comic readers I don't think they're gonna have a hard time making her like the next Captain America like caliber like character Mm -hmm. that everyone knows but I guess now. Oh yeah, like I mean, I guess now it just makes it a little easier. I guess like it, it, everybody knows Wolverine, and so like now they can have that and attach like another huge star to play the character, and hopefully someone who's a little shorter. <laughs> yes. Give me, give me my stumpy Wolverine. If I have to watch another set of X Men movies, I want a stumpy <laughs> little Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. You and Jim Lee um, both. Yes. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Oh, man. You got any more? Oh, go ahead, Nick. Yeah. In, like, talking about all this, it made me realize, um, so, like, we're all approximately the same age. Like, Kevin, you and I are, like, within a year of each other. Jess, you're, like, maybe a few years older. But, like, we're all pretty much in the same age group. Um, In my mind, I feel like I have, like the Marvel characters are completely separated because of the fact that Fox had, you know, the movie, right? So they never appeared together. So like in my mind, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men and the Avengers are as like separate properties as like Marvel and DC, you know? So I wonder what this is going to do to change that in my mind. And I also wonder, do you two feel that way also? Because it could also be partially the fact that I'm, you know, only within the last few years really getting more into Marvel Comics. Yeah, I think I feel that a little bit. I think, I mean, my first introduction to all the Marvel stuff, like we just talked about, was uh, even before I read any comics, was like that that WB X-Men animated show. And so, I, yeah, I think that I kind of thought that all those characters existed in their own little space. Uh, and it wasn't until much later uh when like i started watching all the all the live action movies that i realized oh these characters actually are supposed to exist in the same universe um because i mean because i've only been reading comics for the last like four four years or so so i think and yeah i think in my mind when i see those characters interact with each other i it's still sort of odd to me but i think i've read enough um like back issues at this point that it makes more sense i guess or like it i i I understand what's going on. Uh, but yeah, I think I think probably for a lot of people who haven't read comics before, especially and especially people who are just so far removed from the pop culture realm in general, all those characters don't like exist on their own in some ways. Um, so that is a good point. Like for a new generation of people, if all of these characters existed in the same movie or in the same animated shows, then... Yeah, that brings more, I guess, continuity to, to that universe. I mean, I've always felt the same way, too. Like, I always felt like the Avengers and the X-Men really were, like, separate things. Like, even when I started reading comics, it was always like, wow, so, like, 
they do hang out together, but then there'd be like, there, but then there's like such different storylines for each group of characters that like the other group really can't have because it doesn't make sense for them. But like, so I've always really separated the two as well. Like if I'm watching like an X-Men cartoon and like Captain America or something's like mentioned, I'm like, whoa, what's Captain America doing with the X-Men? You know, it's like, yeah. So I, I've always kind of separated them too. And then I always, I always think of the Fantastic Four as like, they're, they're like, everyone loves them, but they don't play with everybody else. Like, they they just kind of go on their adventures and do what they're going to do. And then when you start reading comics and, like, you realize, especially when you start getting to, like, more recent stuff and, like, the Hickman Avenger stuff, you're like, wow, Reed Richards is, like, yeah, like he's yeah. super involved in the Avengers. So, yeah, no, I, mm-hmm. I agree with that. I've always kind of had them separated in my head, too. Like, they all exist, but together in the same world, but, like, not really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the I think Hickman's Avengers did a lot to help me see all these things be in the same universe. Yeah, um, so and that's I, good. for me, it was the the Bendis Avengers because he just threw whoever he wanted on the teams. <laughs> like it, it oh, didn't yeah. care. It, like he just didn't care. Um, but then uh, I had another thought. I lost it. Never mind. Yeah. No, I think that. But I think that those are that's a really interesting point because um, I think even for some of my non. Uh, like comic friends or whatever uh, who still get the universes confused. Like they think that like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, like in Spider-Man and they just like keep going. Like all those characters must exist in the same universe. And then like the X-Men are by themselves or, or whatever. Cause I think for the longest time people thought like Spider-Man was not really necessarily in that universe. Cause Sony made all those movies that were separate from, from everything else. And I, I thought that, and maybe I'm the, I'm the ignorant one or whatever but um yeah it's still it's interesting to me to sort of instinctively know that all the dc characters interact with each other and there's not really like a dc group that feels like the the outsiders well there's a team called the outsiders (laughs) whatever um but there's not really like a dc group that feels ostracized from the rest of the dc universe but in in the marvel universe yeah like the like spider-man and the Fantastic Four and the X-Men and the Avengers all kind of feel like separate spheres. And I'm wondering, and even like in the comics now, they feel like that a lot. And I'm wondering if that's like a byproduct of the way the movies have been. It's mm-hmm. like the comics have just followed because. Yeah. Uh, so I, I remembered what I wanted to say before. Um, if you hear people who are a little like older than us, like maybe 10, 15 years, they'll like, I think, in their minds, these characters do occupy the same space. Um, so yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the movies change. But yeah, maybe something not horrible will come out of this after all. Um, cool. Well, let's let's move on. So announced just this week, we're getting an Ironheart book. Starring uh, Riri Williams, who replaced Tony Stark for a little bit in the Invincible Iron Man book. It's going to be written by Eve Ewing, no relation to Al Ewing, who uh, is a poet and who's actually uh, an academic. She's a professor at the University of Chicago, where I go to school. Um, and she's a right. She's a uh, a she's a uh, person of color. She had a petition. Um, that was on, I think, like change.org, I guess, for the last year or so that uh, because she 
has tweeted numerous times about how she wants to write Riri Williams since uh, Riri was created in, I think, just 2015 or 16. Um, and her and Marvel have had conversations. And so she's going to be writing uh, this book. And uh, and Kevin LeBranda is going to be um, doing the art in the book. It's going to be really Chicago-focused. Ewing is a... She's uh, grew up, born and raised in Chicago. Um, and her... In the announcement for the book and the in the interview that she did in the Chicago Tribune, she she name dropped a lot of Chicago y things and she talked about making Chicago a more central focus of of the book since that really hasn't been something that, that Bendis necessarily focused on um while he was um writing Riri and talked about, you know, because part of her origin has to do with uh some of her family and friends being uh being killed by gun violence in Chicago. So talking about those things and just talking more about uh, about Chicago itself. Um, and this book, the first issue drops in November. Um, so what are y'all's initial thoughts on, on this, on, on, uh, on the creative team, on Riri, uh, anything like that? Uh, Nick, we'll, we'll jump to you. What do you, what do you think? Uh, seems cool. <laughs> I have no, in, like, I, I have no background with the character or the writer or, artist yeah he's the artist um yeah i i really don't have much to say but it is cool that i don't know if i'd say cool it's interesting that marvel is taking more and more people from different mediums um and that's that's been a thing for a very long time but yeah i'm curious how her poet background is gonna uh, inform her writing Sure, sure. Jess, what do you, what do you say? What say you? Uh, it's pretty cool. I didn't read any of the Iron Man stuff that she was in because I don't really read Iron Man. Um, so I don't really know a lot about her. Like I don't know what kind of character she is, but I think it's cool that um it's being set in chicago like i feel like america is huge and like this is like i'm excited that we're, we're going to talk about west coast avengers late, late, later in the show because it's it's cool to me when superhero stories are set in different places other than new york like i feel yeah. like everything is new york city and it's like well the world exists outside of new york city so what's happening in all these other cities in terms of like superheroes existing like what happens in those places what happens in chicago what happens in seattle what happens in dallas like what are all these places like so i really like that this is in chicago it's like i really like how ms marvel's in jersey city which is like real close to me so it's like i feel like that it's it's a really cool thing and i like when that happens um so i don't really know like a lot about the character though but i, I like the chicago setting and i think it's interesting that marvel keeps hiring um outside of comics when it comes to getting uh, uh, writers of color because it's it, I know a lot of people have been on Twitter discussing this and it's like it's not that it's not it's it's weird because Marvel doesn't really have like a, a place to breed and and work on uh, crafting their own like house style or or working on their own writers and artists the way that DC has been doing that in the last couple of years with their writers and artists workshop like DC is bringing people in that haven't really done like big big mainstream work for like a DC or a Marvel type company so you've got people coming in like Vita Ayala um, and uh, Brian Edward Hill 
who are coming in and doing stuff with DC for the first time and they've been around a while and it's like, that's cool, you know, but Marvel doesn't really have something like that. So the only things that the only people that they keep thinking of are big, how like big, big deal people on the internet and writers and teachers and things like that who don't necessarily do comics because they don't know, like they haven't been looking into the people who already exist in comics and they don't have something set up to take those people and work on what they do and, and kind of mold them for doing what you need to do at a Marvel type of publisher. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, it's just interesting to look at it because DC's not really doing that and they're doing really great things, but they're not bringing in like a Coates or, or e-viewing, you know, they're bringing in people through their workshop that um, are not, the same kind of straight white guy that they've always had, which I, I like. So it's interesting. It's sure. it's just interesting to kind of, it just kind of, I just was thinking about that when I was reading a lot of the discussion around um, bringing her in. I, I have no problem with bringing in like people like e-viewing and, and coats and people who come from something outside of comics. Cause I don't think they should just not write comics. It's, it's great. It's just, it would be nice to also see Marvel, kind of look at comics as a whole and the industry and maybe pick some people out and work with them and kind of mold them to be a Marvel writer. That would be cool too. Mm -hmm. That is a really interesting point. I don't think that I'd put that together that DC has this, like this feeder now for all of these uh, indie, indie creators is indie the right word. Other publisher creators that are not DC Marvel. (laughs) Um, to, to come in and to 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 do work there uh, and it's also I think you can kind of see it in the in the direction that they're headed in the way that they've started all these imprints and they're trying to sort of recreate these uh, like masterful comics works instead of I mean not instead of but aside tr- also trying to do their main universe stuff like they're trying to create excuse me um, these things that are gonna be like the the next like the next Watchmen or the next Dark Knight Dark Knight Returns or whatever whereas Marvel yeah they're bringing in um these names from um from like other big other big media sources and all of their all of their people of color that they brought in for the most part to 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 write these stories have been from um either from the sci-fi realm or just from the the larger um sort of ether of 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 people who who are who write things or whatever else like Ta-Nehisi Coates and Nettie Okorafor and, and now e-viewing and then you know also like like Rainbow Rowell and like Shauna McGuire and um and then Derek Landy who we'll talk about in a second um yeah they're bringing in these different these different um <clears throat> creators to write their their characters that are not like their established characters uh like they still have these established most all pretty much white men comic writers writing their big their big name properties but uh, minus, I guess, coats. Um, yeah. But now that oh, go ahead. Yeah. Now that we're talking about it, it's interesting that, um, like, Marvel just doesn't have a workshop. They just stick people on books. Uh, so I feel like, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Like with Rainbow Rowell, it worked out great. Um, I don't. I haven't heard anybody who didn't like or who doesn't like run. Yeah, Runaways. Um, but then Coates on Black Panther, uh, you know, he, he had a lot of growing pains, I thought, at least. And I, I know that a lot of people feel the same. Um, 
And there were also just a yeah. lot of people that were mad because he's a black outspoken liberal who was writing books in Marvel and they felt that yeah. was also bad. But but yeah. But I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, <laughs> I thought that he had no, a lot of yeah, growing yeah, yeah, yeah. adapting to the medium. And I think that's normal for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody is like Rainbow Rowell. Um, yeah, but it's it's interesting. Uh, I like that <laughs> e-viewing is getting her start on sort of a lower book as opposed to just being thrown onto a high profile title like black Panther. Um, yeah, that's, that's my main thoughts on that. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I think that she's somebody that, you know, having, I guess read some of the articles and like seeing some of the stuff that she's posted on Twitter, if there hadn't been people who were excited about her to come and write this book, she might not have been somebody that would have ever, been considered to write a book at marvel but i just think i don't know i think it's really really cool um and i think that whether or not this book sells super well in the direct market uh i think that it's gonna sell bonkers in like in trade and on amazon and through like other bookstores like i even got um an email today like the u chicago's like main news email that we get every every few days or whatever else and there was the chicago tribune article that announced the book on there and it was talking about about that so like i think that there there are other academic people and like that whole realm that are going to read something like this and absorb that and it's also nice i mean jess you mentioned this a second ago like to have a book that's not set in new york um because i've never been to new york and i don't know really a lot of things about new york um like I grew up, you know, in the middle of nowhere, Texas, but like I've been in Chicago now for a year. And so I sort of, I mean, whether or not I really know things about Chicago, I can recognize when I'm watching a movie and they're shooting in Chicago because I, I know what the buildings look like and stuff. And I can't do any of that with like with New York because I've never been to New York and I don't know a lot of things about New York. And so I think the Mar- yeah, the Marvel universe oftentimes feels like it's contained to New York. And, and that's definitely not the case. Like it's, it's got all these other different worlds that they've created that are not like, like, you know, like Wakanda and like Atlantis, like all these places that don't actually exist, but it's nice that they're growing um, at least like the America that like does, does exist in the Marvel universe that we know exists. And, uh, and yeah, like, I think it's cool. I think it's cool. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. So moving on these next couple things. Uh, real quick. Um, uh, so we got some more details on the Marvel Knights uh, thing that Donnie Cates and uh, Matthew Rosenberg and Via Ayala and Tini Howard are doing. Um, I think we sort of speculated through the San Diego announcement that it was going to be some sort of Marvel Knights imprint and Donnie Cates was going to be showrunning it because that's that's the word that they use. They use the word showrunner. And now we just now we know it's going to be a six issue miniseries, and it's going to be overseen by by Cates, and so he's going to be writing the first issue, and then I think it looks like the next few issues will be co written by him and Rosenberg or Ayala or Howard. Um, first issue, first two issues drop in November. Um, issue one will have art by Travel Foreman, and then issue two will have art by Nico Hincheron, and will be co written by Rosenberg, and it's going to be six issues. And whether or not there are more things that spin out of this, we don't really know, but it kind of looks like it's just going to be contained to this one book. Um, it still looks like it's going to be good. It looks like it's going to be fun. It just seems less, not as big as as it looked like 
um, which I thought was kind of disappointing. I don't know what y'all what y'all think about that. Um, the whole Marvel Knights, uh, we we sort of talked about this last time. How Marvel Knights was sort of a necessary thing at the time. I feel like Marvel's overall output uh, and their editorial, like they're equipped already where they're making books like they used to make in Marvel Knights, or at least they're equipped to make the books, uh, even if they aren't making that many right now. So I don't know if that particular line was necessary. And I think it, it makes sense that it's only a miniseries. Yeah, I... I don't know. I think I would push back against against that because I think Marvel Knights was kind of Marvel's uh, like Vertigo, I guess. Like it was sort of its mature line kind of kind of thing. And they they had other mature lines, like they had they had Max and um, and these other things. But uh, I think bringing it back for like a twentieth anniversary because there aren't any books right now that fall under that um, that like mature line, even though they are making books that are quote unquote mature i think it would be good to have a space for those books and those stories um that are like your quote-unquote like mature stories uh or like your less continuity heavy stories uh and i think i was looking is forward marvel to that. Knights, is marvel knights more of a like mature readers imprint i thought it was just sort of different <laughs> you know like more i guess more down to earth but even like the other day i read the marvel boy miniseries by uh morrison and jd jones i loved it but um it i I don't see any reason why that couldn't exist in the marvel universe today you know i don't see why there would need to be a marvel knights line for that yeah i think uh, so maybe i don't know that it, it it wasn't its mature imprint but it like paved the way for those to have like the mature input. Like I think the, the first time that like the Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon collaborated on a Punisher book, it was through Marvel Knights. And then later they did more in the, like in the, the imprint. Um, yeah. Like the, those two books are completely different though. Like, do you remember when we talked about them with James, like episode two? <laughs> oh, cause one of them was like the Punisher is like dead angel, whatever oh, thing. And yeah. the other is like gritty, something 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 um no you uh you didn't read welcome back frank i read like a lot of punisher to prepare for that um, and you only came in at the max stuff um yeah they were two completely different books and the the marvel knights book was more of a comedic like it it felt like something that would exist in the marvel universe today okay okay well then maybe okay i guess then maybe I, I I sort of had it in my head, I guess, then that Marvel was doing something kind of different with this thing that because they they I guess I felt like having Donny Cates like show run, quote unquote something, um, seemed like it was setting up something bigger than uh, just a six issue miniseries. But um, mm-hmm. and not that this the miniseries isn't going to be good. Like I'm sure it's going to be good. Uh, I just because because like DC is celebrating like Vertigo's 25th anniversary. And throwing like we're getting more Sandman books, and we're getting this whole new like Vertigo relaunch thing, and it it seemed, I guess, ideal and prime for Marvel to be able to do something with like Marvel Knights, like to say like, hey, this has been a, this is our twentieth anniversary, we'll bring this back and make it cool again because we're all about nostalgia right now, and they are doing a lot of stuff next year 
in 2019 because it's going to be Marvel's 80th anniversary, and we we know that there are big things happening. Um, this seemed like it would be a, a good like a good opportunity to do something big and bombastic and like make something that would continue to sell well and trade for years to come. Well, comparing it to other imprints, like you think about uh, Gerard Way, who like had Umbrella Academy and uh, like obviously My Chemical Romance, so he had a big draw for that. And then Warren Ellis, you think about at other publishers, Karen Berger, Berger Books, um, Shelley Bond, like, and then you think of Donny Cates. He's just not, I feel, on that same level of where he should necessarily get an entire imprint to guide. Um, That's fair. Yeah. You know. Like he, he's a hot writer right now and he's had a few pretty big books, but he's not at that level yet. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think, Jess? What are your. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's still probably going to be pretty cool. And, um, I guess like I'm still interested in it, but it is kind of a bummer that it is just like those six issues because I don't know how they're all going to connect with each other if they are going to connect with each other. Um, but you know, maybe if something catches on, like you know, with the Edge of the Spider Verse stuff, like no one thought Spider Gwen was going to be a thing. Um, I mean, these aren't new characters, but maybe someone's take on the character will be something people really care about, and like maybe we'll get a miniseries or a full ongoing just off of that. So we'll see. I mean, I'm still interested. Sure. Sure. Cool. Cool. Well, we got uh, one more thing. So we had another uh, book that was announced, uh, a five issue miniseries starting in November. It's a spinoff from Avengers No Surrender. It's a mini about the Black Order, about Thanos's Black Order. Uh, it's going to be written by Derek Landy who is another uh, sci-fi fantasy writer person coming in to do a Marvel book with art by the illustrious Philip Tan. Um, so we'll, we'll cover this real, real quick. Uh, what are y'all's initial, initial thoughts on, on this? Or you don't have to have thoughts, or if you don't have thoughts, that's also cool. Um, yeah, zero thoughts. <laughs> zero thoughts. Cool. Jess? Yeah, I mean, same. I, I didn't read, like, any of the No Surrender stuff, so I don't. I, I'm hard pass. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> they were really boring in Infinity War. That's true. They were. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I don't know that it was touted necessarily as a spinoff from No Surrender, but it is starring them, like, doing mission stuff for the, for the Grandmaster, uh, who's, like, one of the... Um, they're not like Celestial, like the Collector and all them. That's the wrong word. They're um, something. Some elders. Elders of the universe. That's, gosh. That's that's a thing. Um, it's like them doing stuff for him. They were really boring in Infinity War. They're not really well fleshed out characters. I don't know that they need a miniseries. Philip Tan's not a great artist. Um, and yeah, that's where I'm at. Okay. But corporate synergy, yay! All right, moving on. <laughs> uh, last thing, uh, just when you thought it was over, so Old Man Logan is ending with issue fifty, but Dead Man Logan is starting in November. <laughs> uh, it's a twelve issue miniseries <laughs> written by Ed Brisson, illustrated by Mike Hawthorne. Is the finale of the Old Man Logan saga. 
Or I assume at the end he dies. No. Uh, or probably not. He just gets sent back to his home planet. God. Uh, it's not over. It's not over. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, like, Wolverine's coming back eventually, right? Like, why are we still publishing these books? I don't... No. I still do not understand the whole thing with Old Man Logan becoming a thing outside of that very specific single story. So, I don't know. I, I have nothing. Because I, I just... I don't get it. I really don't get it. It's just Logan, but old. And you take away everything that was interesting about that story by just being like, oh, look, now he's in, like, the main Marvel Universe, and he's hanging around, and he's doing stuff, and he's old. Still got claws, but he's old. All right. And they're, they're not hot claws, so I don't know. Why they're <laughs> he has trauma. <laughs> oh, so much trauma. <laughs> Pathos. <laughs> you and everybody else. Anyway. Yeah, I don't get the appeal of this. And I, like, I haven't read the original Mark Millar story, so maybe that's it. Like, maybe there's, like, a specific group of, of It's a Mark Millar story. I, that's what I imagine, yeah. <laughs> and that's not a good thing, so I just haven't read it. It's like, it's not um, even that bad, it's just like, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Mark Miller story, so, yeah. but. It's just long and decompressed and violent. Yeah, and, then it ends. and it's like, yeah, and it very much has like an ending, and like, for whatever reason, it's become like this thing, and it's like, again, like Spider-Gwen lended itself to like doing other things, that story does not. Like, they had to literally pick him up out of his universe and put him in the main Marvel universe so they could do something else with him. It's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. They should have quit when Andre Sorrentino left because mm-hmm. that was the only draw for that. It book. was really pretty yeah. for how long it, it was lasted. Really pretty. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, any other any other news thoughts? Yeah. It's on here. Wolverine, you asked if he would never or if he would ever come back. I have a theory. It's like how <laughs> in your conspiracies, like a sitcom or you know something like that, you have your two characters who are always like pining after each other and they can never like quite get on the same level, and you don't want to have them like really get together until the series finale, um, because that removes the tension. Apparently, so I've heard. Um, so what if this is I mean, like I that? mean, Castle's next two seasons were definitely its worst, so. Okay, solid. Um, so, you know, applying that here, what if Wolverine <laughs> is only going to come back at the very, very end when Marvel is fully bankrupt and Disney is dying? Like the, the end, end of the Marvel universe, that's when Wolverine returns. Yeah, because until then, like, they want to keep people reading. Like, when's he going to come back? We'll That's never know. Dumb. We'll never know. He's supposed to be back in September. I mean, the book is called Return of Wolverine. All these Hunt for Wolverine books, I don't think they actually found him. And I know that we still have one more, I guess, like wrap up one shot thing that comes out, I think, next week. I think it comes out on the 29th. It's like the Hunt for Wolverine. I think it's called Dead Ends, like literally Dead Ends because nobody finds him. But he's been back for a year. Yeah, but he's a um, um also the solicit for avengers 700 or like or number 10 or 700 i think it's like double it's got double numbered or whatever that's coming out in november said something about that there's something big about wolverine's return in that book too like that was in the solicit oh man there's gonna be it's gonna be their version of the three jokers story (laughs) oh my god three jokers with like 
mixing it claws. with the clone saga. So oh one God. of them's got hot claws. Yes. One of them's got like water claws, and the water claws would be cool, like Mara's power, like where she can like make like water constructs and like throws them at you. Oh man. Oh man. Oh, that would actually so be cool. There was water, earth, and fire, but not air because they were all killed by the Fire Nation. That's true. <gasps> That's true. Yes. That's it. Hire us, Marvel. We just gave you your best story in years. <laughs> oh my god. We did it. We did, we did it. it, guys. We, did it. we fixed it. We fixed Marvel. I just don't understand why we're dragging this out. But we are. <laughs> okay. Well, we're gonna take a break. I'm gonna Yeah, we're gonna take a break. And we'll come back in the second part of the episode and we'll talk about uh, some of Marvel's biggest books for August. So see you in a second. Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3Cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, no bad to Dio impressions, this is bad, what the f***? and an in-depth look at DC each week, join us every Wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us and we're back for the second part of the episode we're gonna be looking at three of the biggest books that marvel put out in the month of august we're gonna tackle extermination number one uh west coast avengers number one and fantastic four number one in that order there are a lot of things that that happened this month Uh, marvel wrapped all their hunt for wolverine uh specials mini series things which I still haven't gotten caught up on yet. Um, and they launched Infinity Wars, which we're not reviewing because I can't stand Mike Diodato's <laughs> art. And uh, so here's where we are. So we're going to start with Extermination number one, written by Ed Brisson, uh, illustrated by uh, Pepe Larraz, colored by Marty Garcia. Uh, this is the beginning of the end for the original five time displaced X-Men and Jess as our mutant versity extraordinaire person. What were your initial thoughts on this, uh, this first issue of this five issue miniseries? Um, it's okay. It's, it's trying to do a lot real fast and I don't think it gives a ton of context, but um, yeah, I mean, it it's, it's fine. I mean, it's the first issue of like this whole thing that's going to probably end with the uh, baby X-Men being gone for a while or forever, hopefully. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was fine. I actually wasn't like super crazy about the art, but I, I thought it was fine. Like it- it's very middle of the road for me. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Yeah. Go ahead, Nick. Same, pretty much. Uh I, I was reading it and I realized I actually do sort of have a connection to two of the five, um, Jean Grey because of the Jean Grey series and Iceman uh, because of the Iceman mm-hmm. series, um, both of which I liked a lot. Uh, like the younger Iceman didn't appear in too many issues of that series, but uh, I still liked him in that. So um, yeah, reading this, yeah, it, it was pretty middle of the road. It's like, yeah, you, you, we have these 
these mutants and they're getting killed or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, and then it's cable. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There was, I, I read this and what one, I, first off I had the thought because they were running all those, uh, those like prologue things at the back of some of the X-Men books. And I thought all of those took place in like this future where, excuse me, where like, shit was bad and people were dead and blah, blah, blah. And so I thought that that's what this book was going to be. Like, I thought it was going to be about like future stuff where like future, all these X-Men are doing future things and like playing out the end of the timeline of what it would have been like if they stayed. Um, And that wasn't what it was. And I guess that's the future that young sexy cable is from. Um, So that's interesting. Um, But I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was kind of, it was kind of, you know, eh. like it was, oh, okay, this is a book. All these people are going to die. Okay, these people are going to die. Um, who is Bloodstorm? Oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, yeah, that was exactly my response. <laughs> so much they did to her. Blood- Bloodstorm ended up with the um, young baby original X-Men how did she get there? She was part of, she was in some alternate universe where she's Storm, but a vampire. Oh, okay. So, cool. Yeah, she's, she's vampire Storm, and they brought her back, and like, she, she, they faked out her death once already during that Mojoverse um, storyline that they did, like, earlier this year. I think it was this year. Okay. And, um, she sort of had like a flirtation oh, with wait, Cyclops. Hold on. Um, Nick. What oh, the no. fuck? God <laughs> damn it. Okay. Nikki, where'd you go? He's gone oh, he's forever. Gone. <laughs> he's gone. He's, he's dead. Poor Nikki. Oh, he's back. Oh, nope. No, it says failed. Oh, critical checks. Warning. Nick, are you back? Oh, he's typing. Hey, oh, Mike. he's back. Okay. Oh, there you are. All right. Okay. That's the first time it actually came back. That's good. Yeah, usually it doesn't do that. <laughs> okay, so Jess, you were saying about Bloodstorm, she had a thing with Cyclops, so... Oh, yeah, she had, like, a, a very subtle... Well, not too subtle, but she had, like, a little flirtation going with Cyclops, so, like, that was why, like her dying with him there was a big deal. Like that was supposed oh, to be okay. a big deal. And then young cable, I don't know if, if this was deliberate, but the last arc of the cable series, which was really good, by the way, like just that last arc, um, basically had cable being forced to go through his own timeline. And then at one point he ends up in a room with like all different timeline versions of himself. And one of them is that young version that we see at the end young sexy cable yeah i don't know if that was deliberate like i don't know if that if that's supposed to come back to each other at all but the last arc of the cable series um that just wrapped up um was like him having to go through his timeline because the villain he was fighting was confronting him at different points of his life and like making him relive things and then like trying to screw up his own timeline um as like revenge or whatever but i don't want to get too far into that but anyway he there was like a really young cable 
that looks exactly like the guy at the end of this issue. So I don't know if that was on purpose, but, okay. but yeah, I don't know if that was on purpose, but I just remembered that now. Yeah. I bet it was. Cause like, cause some of this is dependent on like a lot of it is X-Men blue stuff related, I guess. Cause like all the young characters have been in that book, but like the stuff with, with Rachel and like the marks on her face and yeah. the like pirate guy, that's been an X-Men gold. Hasn't it sort of, Sort of, no. yeah. I mean, well, Rachel just broke free of, like, uh, who was it that was, like, oh, I forgot who it was that was, like, screwing with her, her head, but, um, Mesmero, that was like, I think? that was, like, future-related E. Yeah, so, so, like, she broke free of, like, control over her, somebody was taking control over her, and now they don't have control over her, but now this is happening, so I don't mm-hmm. know. So I don't know. I don't know if that's deliberate with the Cable thing, but I'm pretty sure old sexy Cable will be back because old sexy Cable is far superior to any young sexy version he can think up of. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Into that old sexy chiseled Cable. Absolutely. Josh, <laughs> Absolutely. Bro- Josh Brolin Josh Cable. Josh Brolin Cable. That's it. That's all we need in this world. <laughs> there we go. Oh, man. It's, okay, and I had another question because I think I saw somebody on Twitter say this, and I'm not an expert. Is is Cable Jean Grey's son? I thought that I thought she was Madeline Pryor's son. Or is, am I bullshitting? Is Madeline Pryor an alternate version of Jean Grey? Madeline Pryor is a is a is um a clone Jean Grey, right? She's a clone. Okay. Yeah, she's a clone. So when okay. Jean sees her, so... and she's like, "My son, he's dead." That's just like it's just there for drama. Like it doesn't actually make sense, right? Yeah, like she has her her memories. Like she knows uh, like oh, everything. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, she she remembers. She uh, so it's she, like okay. Yeah, like they're she's a clone, so like they share memories or whatever. But her whole Madeline Pryor's whole history like makes absolutely no <laughs> sense. So do not even get yourself like wrapped up in that because it makes no sense okay. at all. It's like anytime she appears, you're like, how? How are you here? How, <laughs> how did this alive? happen? And it's like, oh, well, she's from an alternate universe. There was an X-Men blue story like with that. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's not was really she her. A vampire? She's uh she's the uh oh, what is she? She's like the goblin queen or something. Oh, I was yeah. kidding, but that's Oh okay. yeah, she like ended up <laughs> like hell and goblin like Goblin Queen. Oh shit. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. She she kinda she's she's uh yeah, she goes hard when she really <laughs> wants to, but um, we should start. Goblin we should start Queen, a yeah. podcast where we where we drunk read old X Men stories. Oh, that would be so great. I would be that so would into be that. But yeah, she she is a clone, and that's technically Cable's mom. But like, she's a clone, so like Cable looks at Jean Grey, he's like, "That's my mom." So it's <laughs> so. But he can't. And then, uh, and then he, he, yeah, well, he's dead. And then he, and and then when he was a kid, he he got abandoned by Cyclops anyway. So classic, right? Because Cyclops is like the worst dad in the history of ever. So deadbeat dad, Cyclops. Oh God, Cyclops is the worst. Everybody can't wait for him to be alive again. Oh my God, he is the worst. But I really cannot wait for Cyclops (laughs) to be alive again. Like. Every well, you're been waiting for, for three years until Wolverine returns. Oh, so. that's no, true. That. I mean, I'm pretty. I mean, I'm pretty convinced that the in the whole thing at the end of like this uncanny X Men story is that he's going to be back. Yeah, 
I mean, no, no. Wolverine's got to come back so him and Gene can fuck before Scott gets back. No, that's true. Oh, that's true. And then Scott can be really sad about it. Oh, man. He's going to be so mad about a woman that's back that he really has nothing to do with. Oh, that's going to be great. So, I was thinking, you know, for Cyclops, it would be more the type of thing. Honestly, I like what we, what you just came up with now better but i was thinking like once all of the young kids die (laughs) or whatever they're gonna do he rises from the ashes and then we realize that this new clone cyclops who is sort of like um infinity man um he's actually also the phoenix and yes (laughs) all right New, new Cyclops in you Cyclops is also the Phoenix. Okay, I just looked yeah. it up because I wanted to make sure I got it right, and I was, like, basically right. Uh, Jean Grey uh, absorbs Madeline's, uh, like, essence and personality when she was, like, Phoenix Force again. Okay. So she is basically Madeline Pryor, but I don't remember how Madeline Pryor then became, like, a separate thing, and then she became the Goblin Queen, and she was, like, hanging around hell, and so she's, like, an evil villain now, and then she died, and now she's alive again, and so anyway, Jean basically... Basically, Madeline died, and Jean took her, like, personality and everything into her, and then they went to the future, and they raised Cable. So that's why. Like, she's technically his mom, but, like, not really, but also, yeah, she is, because she's a clone anyway. So, yeah. I, yeah. Mom on a technicality. It's all technicality. There's, there's nothing (laughs) makes sense in X-Men, and when you try to figure it out, it's like, why are you doing this? Just and that's why everyone, yeah, everyone's Jean Grey, and that's why everyone should listen to explain the X Men because it's kind of fun watching, listening to them like pull it apart and be like, "This is what happened." It starts. That also starts with the next, yes, right? explain, explain the X Men. <laughs> of course, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Oh man, um, I had another thought and I can't remember what it was. Because X-Men doesn't make sense. So you're just like, do I really need this thought? (laughs) Oh, man. Well, okay, I don't need it. Uh, Yeah, the story (laughs) is we're going to kill them, and that's the story, and we're going to put the toys away, and that's that's kind of what we're getting. They were really, like, like, a thing that only should have existed in, like, Bendis's, like, short time. And it made sense when he did it. And he actually... If you if he had like written an ending for them, like that would have been good because like they served a purpose, and that story was good. Those two books that were going at the same time was like all new X Men and Uncanny X Men, and then when they were over, it was like, okay, but why are they still here? Like they had their out and they didn't do anything with it. So oh, I remember what I was gonna say. That that makes that makes a lot of sense. Let me let me validate you real quick. I apologize. Uh the solicit for the fifth issue of this thing, the cover of it, like Cyclops is the only one of the original five that's like Boom. not up in the front. Wait, what? I think young Cyclops, Cyclops stays, okay. gets mad that Wolverine and Jean pork, and then we get all sorts of like weird teen frustration story things. That's what oh, I was going to say. No, don't. That makes sense. <laughs> I apologize for cutting you off, Jess. Oh, it's okay. I, I was done. <laughs> okay. uh, one okay. final thought. I like that in the outline, you made a typo, and it just says, Sex X-Men. Pretty great. <laughs> That's all I have to say. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's sex with it's just SX. There's no E. It's the that doesn't even make sense. It's the X their X no, never mind. I can't make a joke out of that. Sex men? The sex men? Oh <laughs> sexy X. Sex I don't know. <laughs> I did, I did. It says it says interesting ideas, young sexy cable comes back to kill the young sex X <laughs> <laughs> I, oh. I don't know if like they're gonna kill off the young ones um but i think they're gonna be gone the young sexy x-men i don't know if they're okay. gonna be dead but i don't think they're gonna be around anymore and somehow out of all of this older cyclops will be back because that's absolutely the next big thing that they're gonna do you've got gene gray running around you've got uh Wolverine coming back at some point, even though we already found him. He was on the rooftop watching Kitty and Peter. And (laughs) 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 I'm so hung up on that. I need you guys to understand that I am so hung up on that. Like, here's all these Wolverine miniseries. We're going to find him. But there he is. He's watching their wedding. He's just... (laughs) You are all in the wrong place. You got people in Madripoor. You've got the Weapon X team running around doing whatever they're doing. It's like, well, he's right there. He's like at the school. You guys found him. That was a cardboard cutout. It's always in the anyway. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I'm just very. I'm still very hung up on that. Um, Yeah. No, it's 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 great. He's Cyclops is absolutely the next big thing that they're gonna do with the whole comeback thing, and it's gonna be great because. I cannot wait for like 2019, 2020 to just be the love triangle between Gene, Scott, and Wolverine all over again. Because we didn't get enough of that. We're getting it now, though. But you know what's going to happen this time. <laughs> but 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 in 2019, we're going to be sex positive. Yes, that's the only way for this yeah. to end. That's what I was going to say. It's the only way for this to end. They all all just they they just decide to be in a poly relationship, and that's it. And it'll be polyamory. Polyamory is a ten issue weekly miniseries, and (laughs) it'll be called Sex X Men. (laughs) Yes, finally, a book for those who are horny on Maine. This is the ten issue weekly series. That's so what's gonna be called, Horny on Maine. Um, That's it. The first issue will be five hundred. Horny on Maine. <laughs> yeah, and it'll be it'll be it'll be uh, fifteen ninety nine um, dollars. Fifteen ninety nine dollars. Yes, yes, yes. Number one book of. It'll be in the very last loot crate that goes out because it's a dying industry. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh. Oh man! Oh man! No, it'll be uh, it'll be a instead of a variant cover, it'll be variant <laughs> issues. So it's gonna be a five hundred issue book, but they're all gonna be issue ones, and so you're gonna have to go from shop to shop to spend fifteen ninety nine on each issue. That's a hundred. That's a hundred pages. Oh my they're all gonna have different covers, and the covers are gonna come together and make some fancy image. It's gonna be drawn by Mark Silvestri oh or J. Scott Campbell or one of those dudes. Gonna look all sort of cattywampus. It's gonna be the most '90s thing ever. And when you get them all together, but sex positive. Wolverine sex still positive. isn't back. He's on the roof and he's watching. <laughs> no, he's he's in the he's in the Amory. He's in the polyamory. Okay. He's he's there. He's doing the young old Wolverine is on the roof because he's still not dead because he's dead Logan, old dead Logan, dead man Logan. 
whatever that book was called. <laughs> whatever. I think, I think, I think we're done talking about this oh, this poor comic yeah. that that just I I, I yeah. uh, you know what I think we're good. <laughs> I think when you break out the sex, then, you, <laughs> I think we've said uh, all that can be said. <laughs> this is probably true. All right, cool, cool. So uh, next item on the list, we're looking at West Coast Avengers number one, written by Kelly Thompson, uh, illustrated by Stefano Caselli, and colored by Triona Farrell. Um, guys, what are y'all's initial thoughts on the West Coast Avengers? Nick, we'll start with you. You're a big fan of Kelly Thompson's Hawkeye book. Yeah, that she did. so I like that it picked up right where, um, it, it basically picked up right where Hawkeye ended. Um, I was thinking it's comparable to what Deathstroke did when they moved into the Defiance arc. Um, I don't know if either of you were reading Deathstroke at the time. Um, I am. I am reading yeah, the Deathstroke. So it's sort of like initially it was uh, her solo adventures and she had some friends and like, uh, but then she now it's like con- a continuation of her story, but now other characters are just getting added in. So that's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, it's still the same Kelly Thompson writing Hawkeye. I really like uh, what she's doing with all the characters. It's a lot of fun. I, I wasn't reading, uh, you know, Gwenpool or America or uh, I think Generation X was what Quentin Quire was in. Um, but I, I like what she's doing with the characters. I like the way that they play off of each other. It's just a fun, funny, like great read and the art is pretty good um i think it does well with what kelly thompson is going for uh yeah i I dig it a lot nice nice jess what do you what do you think about this debut i thought it was really fun like i i didn't read hawkeye like i haven't gotten around to it yet um but i really like this this was fun and this had a very different feel to it because it's not another New York Avengers book. Like it it felt like the West Coast. Like I it felt like what I think the West Coast is like as a person who's definitely East Coast. So, I don't know if that makes sense, but it felt like it felt like a different place, which I always really like from from comic books. Um Yeah, it was funny. Um I really liked the ending, the throwback to the original West Coast Avengers. Um and I think Kelly Thompson is really, really good at writing the Hawkeyes. Um, her Kate and Clint are a lot of fun. And her America Chavez is very good, too. I agree. Wait, is the, is the ending a throwback to the original West Coast Avengers? Well, it's Tigra, so... Oh, okay. Okay. I I yeah. thought you meant, like, the the Brodock thing was, like, a, a tie. And I was really confused. <laughs> like, I was with Gwen Poole when she's saying, like, what the fuck? Because I don't really know what's going on, but... I love that Brodox's head is just a tiny bit bigger than his body. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not huge, it's just a little bit bigger. He's like ripped, but his head is just huge. Oh, it, it doesn't make sense. It's off. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. That's that's the perfect example of how, how much fun the book is, just unexpectedly in places and expected, expectedly in certain places. Like you have the characters just living together and that's its own sort of sitcom and then you have like all of a sudden they're riding around on land sharks which aren't a thing <laughs> uh it's, it's great i had a great time yeah yeah no i i i really really enjoyed this book 
Um, like I, I laughed a lot throughout and I usually like the, like DC and Marvel funny books that are supposed to be like funny. I usually don't laugh through them. Like maybe I give like a chuckle or whatever, but I like actually laughed really, really hard through a lot of this book. Um, like all the Gwenpool stuff was hilarious. Um, and just like, I don't know. I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think the art is really good. Um, I'm a big, I guess maybe not big. I'm a, I'm a Caselli fan. Like I, he was doing the work on, on Bendis's invincible Iron Man stuff. And I thought it looked really sleek and was, uh, was really good. Um, cause he was drawing like, like Riri Williams and he was like drawing these teen characters and they looked like teenagers and he was drawing older people and they looked like older people. Um, and the colorist was different. That was, it was Marty Garcia on those books. And I think that Triana, um, Farrell's the colorist on this book. And I think that, um, she does really good. And like the tone is a lot different because a lot of that book, a lot of the Iron Man book was set in like New York and in Chicago and in like Liberia. And it was, you know, it was less like fun. It was more serious. And this, like, all the, like, neons and all the pinks and all the oranges and everything, I think are really, and purples and stuff, I think are really good. And I think it, like, it, it's sleek, but it looks like a funny book. And, yeah, I just, I just had a ball. I wasn't, I wasn't reading Hawkeye, so I didn't catch, I guess, all of that stuff. But I don't know that you had to, because I definitely think it, you just, it just kind of drops yeah. you in. Yeah, it definitely dropped you right in. Um yeah, it, it just set everything up immediately. And there's nothing really from the Hawkeye book that you need to know. You know, the only things that you, I guess, sort of needed to know was that Kate runs a private investigation agency and she has this boyfriend now. And yeah, there's there's not much. I was going to ask that. about the boyfriend. Like, where is that from Kelly Thompson's run? Yeah. Yeah. And so this whole status quo of Kate being like the West Coast Avenger that started during Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run um, with Annie Wu. So I think that she did a lot of, you know, the establishing just the visuals of um, of what Kate's LA adventures were like. Mm-hmm. And then when uh, Kelly Thompson series started, uh, Leonardo Romero just took that to another level. And I think that's like the overall feeling of just yeah just the entire atmosphere of uh la as it's depicted here um yeah i think you can track it back to them too okay okay yeah i i still haven't read fraction fractions hawkeye run and i know that that's that's like what people talk about modern marvel sort of like masterworks or whatever they talk about that one and it's on my long laundry list of things to I probably wouldn't have read it yet if like that wasn't one of my first Marvel comics when I was like I should try reading some Marvel oh sure sure (laughs) yeah because it's pretty self-contained I guess and well I I I guess I meant I was following it when it came out oh like I decided to follow a few Marvel books Mm -hmm. like the week that book came out. okay I see I see yeah I see um yeah so what do we think about like all the members of this team that that they've they've gotten together um like i think it's you know we got we got both hawkeyes and the and the boyfriend and like they're all living together we got america who like her and 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 kate have like this this friendship and sort of like flirtatious thing going on since since young avengers and um then we have we drop quentin choir and and gwenpool in the mix uh which 
the, the cover for issue four has them making out on the front and they're definitely bickering and fighting throughout this whole issue, which just makes that seem like it's going to be way more fun. Like, I guess who... And they they name drops Novar. They do. Who is by far one of my favorite Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's who I thought so the guy at the end was before he said he was Brodock. Like, I thought that was Novar. Oh. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. Um, yeah, they like they they like reference a lot of other continuity stuff, which I think is cool. Um, yeah, what do you what do you think about about this sort of ragtag team that they've gotten as, assembled? Um, Jess, what are your what are your thoughts? Quentin Quire is like one of my favorite characters, like one of my favorite like younger characters. So like I'm so excited he's in this book. Like I've been wanting him to not be in an X Men book for a while now. Because no one knows what to do with him. So at least like now he's like on a West Coast Avengers team. And now he's going to have a good time. And he's going to drive everyone completely insane. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. He's garbage child and I love him. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It it's, it's definitely seems like in a, like an eclectic group. It's not like when this book was announced, it seemed like a weird group to all throw together. But it's, it's mostly just a lot of people that have had books in the last year or so that have been canceled and who like somewhat have a relationship and then we threw them all together and i think it works like i think it works really well um i was also gonna ask you uh if the like superhero reality show thing had ever been done before and if like the like the office cutaway camera gag thing still works in 2018 um like i think that's a trope that Mm-hmm. has been around for a while and i don't know if i don't know if it's been done in comics before i guess it's in uh in the fear itself tie-ins in bendis's avengers and new avengers um they did an interview style thing um but it wasn't done for laughs the way that it is here and it wasn't like a reality show exactly i don't think that they ever explained what exactly it was now that i'm thinking about it but um yeah okay okay yeah i think I guess I'm I'm just remembering too, like Steve Orlando, one of Steve Orlando's J, Justice League of America arcs recently. They did some some inter- camera interview things like this, but it wasn't it wasn't for laughs either. Um, yeah, I guess like reality shows and stuff still do the like the camera cutaway thing, uh, and that's I guess that's really what this is because they're doing a sort of like reality show. Um, I guess like I think since like Jersey Shore ended, the whole reality show kick is kind of like on the downward slope. Am I wrong about that? Am I, or is that? Mm, I don't know. The Kardashians yeah, are still really popular. I think, uh, that's true. I'm trying to think. Like, my sister's, like, really into, like, reality shows, so I'm, like, thinking, like, like, what is, like, popular right now. Um, Real Housewives, Vanderpump Rules, those are all really oh, popular. Oh, yeah. Like, all the Real Housewives shows are oh, real popular. Real Housewives. Oh, yeah. Like, those are real popular. Um, Love and Hip Hop is really popular. Um, yeah, the Kardashians, they still do, like, the cutaway, like, confessional type stuff. Yeah, they still do that. Like, that's, like, a big part of, like, those kinds of reality shows. Okay, okay. I guess I'm, I'm, there was, like, a period of time where, like, like, serious TV, or quote-unquote serious TV shows, like, did the cutaway thing. I don't think they do it as much anymore. Like, The Office did it, and Parks and Rec did it. And I guess, like, there were some other shows that tried to do it. Modern Family. Modern Family. Is Modern Family still on? I think so. Yeah, it is. I don't watch it, but I know it's still on. 
Oh, okay. Well, then I'm just wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. No big deal. Um, cool. I think we all love this book. Any other thoughts? Any other wrap-up thoughts? I love it. <laughs> love it. All right. Very good. Very much my jam. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about where this is going to go. All right. Our last book of the month is The Return of the Fantastic Four. Oh, Although yeah. not really The Return. Yeah. Because <laughs> really this issue. Um, Fantastic Four number one, written by Dan Slott. And then the main story, illustrated by Sarah Pichelli. And then we have a Doom, Doctor Doom backup story, which written by Slot, illustrated by Simone Bianchi. Bianchi? 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 One of those. And then uh, Scotty Young does a last page epilogue thing. Um, so yeah, Jess, we'll start with you. What are sort of your initial thoughts on the return, the hyped up return of the Fantastic Four? I actually thought this issue was really sweet. Um... And kind of like the really sweet tone that I want from Fantastic Four. At least before you start digging into like their adventures and things like that. Like it 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 read very well to me. Like I really like the tone. Um, but I think reading Marvel 2-in-1 helped a lot. Like I think reading that helps me really feel like the whole thing that Thing and, and uh, Johnny Storm were going through. Um, yeah, I really liked it. And usually I don't like first issues kind of feeling like a teaser instead of like an actual first issue but i feel like um dan slot's getting ready to take fantastic four and do like what he did with spider-man and be there for a long time so i don't think he's in any rush and i think um i think that worked here um which is weird because usually it doesn't work for me but i think it worked here really well um, but yeah, I thought this was so sweet and so well done. And I don't know if it's the best first issue for someone who knows nothing about the Fantastic Four. But if you do and you know that they've been gone a long time and you know why they've been gone because of the Secret Wars and everything, um, I think it works like really well. Yeah, I th- so I I agree with what you definitely what you were saying about the tone. Um, and I think that that, like, that absolutely works. And I think the level of, um, just, like, sincerity, I think that's, that's there's really good. And I think that you're right, having been been reading Marvel 2-in-1, um, like, Chip Zdarsky and, and Co- have been doing really good work over there. And it's been sort of really honest and really, you know, character-driven and really fun interactions between um, the Thing and, 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 uh, and uh, Human Torch and Johnny. Um yeah, so like I totally, I'm totally with you there. Uh, I think, and I think, and I think that you're right. Like, I think that Slot is definitely not in any hurry. I think that this issue definitely felt a lot like the first issue of um, Tony Stark Iron Man, which we talked about a few months ago, where it was like definitely all teaser and it was definitely um, like bringing back all, or not all, like bringing back some of these characters that we haven't really seen very much recently, but that are definitely like related to. Um, like this franchise, like we, I had to look up who the character was, but there's like the, like Wyatt Wingfoot, who's like, um, Johnny's like roommate or whatever else. He's like a, a character that Stanley and Jack Kirby created in like their original Fantastic Four run. It's like Slot brings him back in the same way that 
he brought back um, whoever's the like security guard person in his Iron Man run, who like was a um, love interest of Tony Stark at one point, like back in the seventies or something like that. There's like those people, and like I kind of forgot that Alicia was a thing, and she hasn't really been in the at the forefront of a lot of stories. Um, I guess it feels like in in forever. I just remember her from like the mid aughts Fantastic Four movie where it was Carrie Washington who played her. And that's just what I picture whenever I picture um, like the things um, girlfriend. And like there's that, that Stanley sort of cameo with that old dude when the thing goes to um, that like museum, whatever thing. So there's a lot, like there's a lot of good here. And I agree that like slot is not in a hurry. I thought the issue was kind of just like meh. Um, and I felt that about the Iron Man issue too, because it felt like you're, you're throwing all these things out here. You're like laying bare all of this, I guess, continuity in a lot of ways. And it feels really good. I, 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 I describe, I think it like, it feels good for somebody who's never read a fantastic four book before. I think that this sort of kind of lays out here's who the fantastic four are and here who these characters are. And I think it's a lot of prequel before we get into the meat of it. Um, but, but that's, yeah, that's where I'm at. Nick, what did you, what did you think about, about this book? Yeah, I'm, I guess in the middle of you two, I felt like you did, Kevin, that it's more, yeah, it's, it's very much set up. I felt like this was a lot more set up than, for instance, the Dan Slott first Iron Man issue. Um, this one to me felt like it really was a zero issue. It's more transitory in between their adventures in Marvel 2 and 1 and what we're going to see when the four are back together. Like, I think I'd rather have seen the four actually be back together in this first issue, especially since it's 40 pages. Um, but as a story, I liked it. Um, yeah, and that's where I fall more towards what Jess was saying. Um, it's it's sweet. It's good. You really get a feel for who everyone is. And it just it's a nice read, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it definitely feels more like an issue of Marvel 2-in-1 than I think it would feel like a proper issue of the, like the beginning of a new Fantastic Four run. Um, or like it, it could be like an annual to Marvel 2-in-1 almost too. Because um, you're right, like it, like it is really sweet. Like it sets up this beginning of this relationship or the not the beginning of this, like beginning of this marriage for the thing and, and Alicia masters. And, um, and like, that's a good, like, that's a good thing. That's a thing that's been, I guess, like 80 years coming or 60 years coming or however long it is that the fantastic 60 years coming. I think that's right. That the fantastic four have been around. Um, like those, like that's all good things. It just, we don't see, we don't see the fantastic four. Um, uh, and so I, I, I felt myself feeling like, whatever that weird cartoon thing that Scotty Young drew at the back of the book was feeling. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, for the art on the main feature, I, so I completely forgot who was drawing it and I'm going through the book and I'm like, why does Johnny look so sexy <laughs> in a way that like, I'm not used to in comic book art. And then I realized it was drawn by a woman and I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the show, but there is something about when women, I guess, especially heterosexual women draw male characters. And there's just something about the way that they look that is far more attractive than the way that 
a male character or a male artist draws male characters like i think there's a big difference between the way that johnny is seen here than the way that like what you were saying young sexy cable at the end of extermination was and i don't know i, I just wanted to talk about that and see what you guys thought i think Johnny Storm is supposed to be a little bit more conventionally attractive anyway. Like I think of like the four of them, like he's supposed to be like, um, like a little bit hotter, but I also, now that you brought that up, I also wonder if her version of Johnny Storm, because I don't know how old she is, but fantastic Four, the movies came out, uh, the the Chris Evans version came out in like what the mid two thousands. Maybe a little earlier, like two two thousand five. Yeah. So like you know maybe yeah. that's kind of yeah. where her head is because like that Johnny Storm like was still very it was a good version of Johnny Storm but like I think the look kind of stayed with people. Um, so I think maybe maybe she drew some inspiration from that because Chris Hev- Chris Evans is the you know the current sexy thing that we all love. So maybe you know maybe she was kind of thinking of that a little bit. Yeah, it's. I think it's more than just the design. It's actually in the way that they use the lines to represent the figure. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, I just, yeah, I always notice that with women artists. Every single time that I'm like, this character is more sexy than I'm used to, and I look, and it's it's drawn by a female. Yeah, I even felt that like looking at like uh, like the thing, like looking at Ben, like he looks much less grotesque than he does. And a lot of other representations of him, um, like it's like a lot more muted and a lot more um, like he just looks like a like a big guy rather than uh, I mean like a big giant, like a big guy rather than like a like a monster looking thing. Um, but I totally like I totally like I noticed that uh, like looking at somebody like like Nicholas Scott's art or like Joel Jones. Mm-hmm. And I and I don't I guess I don't notice it as much looking at when they draw men, but like the way that they draw women, um they look like like women. Like they don't look mm-hmm. like these like they don't look like objects. Like they look like real characters. Um that like they look like subjects. Yeah. And I think that yeah, yeah. Like I, I notice that a lot. I guess like And specifically Nicola Scott, I think of her Wonder Woman run, the way that she drew Steve Trevor. Oh God, yeah. It was like so good. Yeah, yeah. It was really good. Yeah, the same thing. It was really good. I think it's good though, like to have that healthy balance. Like I think it's okay to have your your guys draw the women real cute and sexy and but not like gross way. And then I think it's pretty cool to have like the women artists come in and kind of give a little eye candy in return. I think that's good. I think it's good. We have enough, like, comics are fantasy, so let's have pretty people in the comics. <laughs> it'd be, I no, mean, it'd sure. be nice to see a little bit more variety in what artists think is pretty, but because, um, like, what's pretty, what's beautiful is, like, really subjective anyway. But it's kind of yeah. it's kind of nice. It's, it's, it's very basic, like, eye candy, but it's good. I like it. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's a really good point though, Nick. Like I had noticed, I, I guess I wasn't really looking until now, but you're, you're right. Like Johnny looks a lot, just like a lot sleeker and like Reed looks kind of, I know, I think I noticed his first time. I thought that Reed didn't look super attractive, but like he looks like kind of off, but like Johnny, like, especially like when he's like singing, like, yeah. 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 That whole scene. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, 
what y'all think about the about the doom the doom backup story I'm so confused as to what has been happening with Doom because I did not read the Iron Man stuff at all. So, yeah. like, last I saw, he was, like, handsome and he was, like, working with Tony Stark and now he's back to being all scarred up and, and running his country again. So, I, I don't know how you I'm make the leap. Naked. Yeah, I, I don't know how you make the leap. So, I, I, I felt like I... That, that felt like the only thing I really needed some context for because I it, it just felt like... Like a year ago, I'm looking at like really handsome, suave Doctor Doom working mm-hmm. with Tony Stark, and now here he is doing what he used to do. So I don't know like where all that went. I mean, it's good that he's like back to being like Doctor Doom, but it's just weird that it felt like there were two very different versions running around. Yeah, I think so. So he was in like Infamous Iron Man or whatever for a while. Uh, and then, like, when that book got canceled and came back, and it was just Invincible Iron Man, and he was doing, he had, like, a, it was, like, Alex Maleev and Stefano Caselli, like, split our duty on that book, and the Alex Maleev stuff was Doom, Doom stuff, and the Stefano Caselli stuff was Ruri stuff, and I think, I scammed issue 600, I didn't, I haven't read it, read it properly yet, but something happens, like there's the stories converge and like Tony Stark comes back and there's something about um, like the like Parker Robbins, like the hood, like the main one of the, the bad guys from like when Bendis did the Avengers stuff. Um, he's like doing some evil things and like Doom's been fighting him. And I think like they face off in Latveria and something happens and like he fucks up Doom's face again. And I think that's like a sort of him like reverting back to being like doom doom um sort of but i don't know that that's really true because like seeing him in marvel 2 and 1 he's been mostly an okay guy um and he's i mean most of his like appearances i guess like in the comics like he's like complex like he's not really i guess like a like a villain he's like a or like a well-guided well well-guided villain i don't that's still evil whatever I have no idea who Doom is supposed to be. Yeah. Every time that I see him show up in whatever random story I happen to be reading, he's different. And I I don't ever know, like, other than he leads this country, Latveria, it's like he he always wants and does different things that just don't match up in my mind. Maybe I just haven't read the greatest, you know, Doctor Doom stories, but that's how I feel. And yeah, reading this, it was like, okay, <laughs> it's just another like throwaway 10 page. Like now he's in Latveria again, doing something again. Yeah, that's yeah. how I felt about it. I think this is, he. it's going to lead to him. I guess like they're going to have a, a violent revolt and he's probably going to be king or dictator or whatever again. But like maybe he'll be less evil or less outright evil. I don't know that he was ever evil as... He or as he was just a dictator, and we as Americans are supposed to think that all dictators are evil because most of them are not great. Um. So yeah, I don't know. It's been really weird. It was weird reading Marvel two and one, and then reading Iron Man because it felt like Bendis and Zdarsky just had like completely different ideas of who Doom was. Because like Doom, it was so weird. Because like so when Bendis took over Invincible Iron Man, 
like the first issue is Tony Stark goes on this date with this woman and then like he sees sexy face fixed doom and then like that woman keeps appearing and like she appears in like infamous iron man and like her and doom have a relationship and then like she gets pregnant and like so she has this baby what? And, like that's the end of Bendis's <laughs> invincible iron man stuff it's like doom gets this this scientist woman pregnant and she decides she wants to keep the baby um and so i don't know if that'll be a thing but he's like seems like he's like sort of aloof and but he's like good he like wants to like he kills people i guess still but he wants to like save the world or whatever because he feels like he has a second chance i don't know it's all sorts of weird but like the marvel 2 and one doom was like just fun and not evil and bendis's doom was really serious and somewhat not evil i don't know if that makes any sense yeah I don't know. All I know is that I didn't like the story. Okay. Yeah, it felt the backup felt weird. But I don't think you can have the Fantastic Four without four without having Doom, I guess. So mm-hmm. Or you can. I don't know. Uh do you guys like Simone Bianchi's art? Yes. I did. It's really dark and moody. I thought it worked really well for that for that story, even though the story was kinda weird to me. It it worked. It worked. I really mm-hmm. like uh that that Doom. Yeah. yeah, I think it works for what they were going for. I'm glad that it's not that it's not Bikelli doing the backup story also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And, and Triona Farrell, like her coloring, it would have given it a very, very different vibe. And like the vibe that she gave to the main story was great, but definitely Simone Bianchi's whatever he does mm-hmm. <laughs> it it worked very well did she color did she yeah. color no Mar- marta garcia colored grass marta gracia not garcia oh, i'm saying it wrong all of a sudden marta Gra- gracia colored oh okay i thought bianchi bianchi himself. colored himself um but Gar- gracia colored Bikelli, not feral oh okay okay i, I was thinking triona feral yeah. from west coast adventures but yeah i what i said yeah. just switched the names yeah no i i agree with you i agree with you yeah. I don't know. I think this is going to be, it took me the, like the first two issues of reading the slots, like Iron new Iron Man run to really get into it. And I think it's going to take me a couple issues of this book to get into it, which I, I think that you shouldn't have to do. Like you should be able to sell somebody on like the first issue. And like, I'm sold on the first issue of like West Coast Avengers, but I think that slots gearing up for another decade long run on both these books so yeah he's taking his sweet time mm-hmm. cool you got any other any other thoughts well i mean mm-hmm. i'm 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 not like the biggest fan of like dan slot but i am excited to read this actually i'm i'm kind of excited to hopefully be like right at the start of like a really epic fantastic four run mm-hmm yeah agree. yeah honestly it just makes me want to go back and reread or read a lot of mm-hmm. older fantastic mm-hmm. four stuff which like now that i'm done with all my bendis reading i want to read through everything that hickman has yeah. done and i'm like halfway through his fantastic four so i'll pick back up with that <laughs> and then i guess the slot book i'll read i don't know maybe when it's on marvel unlimited sure. or something sure sure yeah i like reading like realizing that i'm at the or like that we're at the beginning of a 
of a really long run on something makes me want to go back and read all the older stuff and like read all the stuff that took place before this. Um, Cause I know that like slots going to be drawing on a lot of that. Like that's just who he is. Like he likes to draw on all this history and like take everything and do something exciting with it. Um, and I wish I could have that background, I guess for all of it. And I know that, that I don't, um, but I think it would be fun too. And if I had time, I would. So maybe I'll make time for some of that. Um, well, cool. Well, folks, that's it for this month. Uh, we'll be back in September with all the fun, big things uh, for September. What has Marvel got coming out that's big in September of 2018? Um, I think we have the beginning of no, the beginning of the Return of Wolverine. That's in October. No, it's in September. The beginning of the Return oh, of Wolverine. Is this is in the September. actual return, or is this like part two of the prelude? It's it's Hot Claws, baby. Let's go. Oh, here we uh, go. <laughs> we got the continuation of Infinity's Infinity Wars, and we got some Thanos Legacy stuff. As Guardians of the Galaxy number one, uh, Iceman comes back. Spider Geddon zero zero issue. Mm. Um, <laughs> and some other fun things. So cool. So we'll be back next month with all of the fun things from September and all the news until then you can find us all on the larger interwebs. I'm on Twitter at KB Gregory 13. I am on Twitter, but I don't go through my news feed very often unless I implement some mute things that we were talking about off air. Anyway, you can tweet at me if you want. I check my <laughs> notifications uh, at N Palmieri writes. Uh, and I am at JustCamNJ. Um, you can follow me. Um, I, I basically only exclusively tweet about pro wrestling at this point because it keeps me sane. So, but we, we can talk on Twitter if you want. <laughs> <laughs> we can have we a can chat. Talk, we'll, like talk we about, a chat. we'll talk about we'll talk about Madeline Pryor. <laughs> Goblin Queen. Goblin Queen. Nice, we'll talk about nice. Goblin well, Queens. <laughs> Talk about the yeah. sex men. We'll be back next month. More sex men content coming to your